Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink, thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own, into our house enter thou not, through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome, creeps and peepers, to Scared to Death. Thanks for listening wherever you listen. Thanks to uh, lots of new listeners via Pandora and Spotify. Yes. And those of us, uh, those of you, those of us, uh, those of you who <laughs> have found us, us on, uh, on YouTube. I'm Dan. Hi, I'm Lindsay. Uh, moving towards 5,000 ratings and reviews on iTunes alone. Holy. So thank you, creeps and peepers, for helping uh, new so people great. find the show. Thank you. That's amazing. I try to stay out of there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I like to peek in there, just get a general general vibe. Uh, scared to death, uh, creeps and peepers baseball tees now at the store. Badmagicmerch.com. So you can be team creep, team peeper. Team peepers. I uh, I'm I feel like I was kind of wavering on team creep for a little I'm back fully on team creep now. I was watching horror movies by myself <sighs> in the basement. Yeah. And, and I was getting a little nervous at first. I was like, no, no, no. Now let's get, let's get spooky. And I, oh. then I got into it. Okay, well, that's good. That's good mm-hmm. for the show. You can represent one side of the, the oh, fandom, yeah. and I'll take the other I've side. I've been watching uh, Haunted again on Netflix. It's like nope. uh, so many good stuff. No, ter- all terrible things. I wish I had a good movie to recommend, but I, did, I didn't love the ones I saw, so I won't recommend them. Oh. Uh, thoughts and support go out to the family of George Floyd and any and all victims of police, police brutality. As a white dude in northern Idaho, not going to pretend to fully uh, you know, empathize or understand. I'm not quite that tone deaf. I wanted to get this right, but I but I hope that some good comes out of all this hurt. And and thoughts and support go out to all the police officers uh, hurt by all of this as well. The many officers who put their lives on the line to serve and protect, who fight to earn public trust, only to have that trust, you know, damaged and degraded by other officers. Special thanks to SPD, Spokane Police Department Officer Jeff, keeping his last name out because we don't have, didn't get permission. Sure. Don't want to get him in trouble. But a friend of the show uh, for kneeling with some protesters in Spokane, doing some bridge building. And heart goes out to all the business owners of all colors who have had their businesses destroyed in the rioting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's out of the way. Lindsay, how many horror stories do you have for us? I have three. You have three. I have three. I have two, like, traditionally scary spooks. And then I have one little baby story that kind of just a little lighthearted, if you will, Dan. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Lighthearted. Uh, I have two. First up, the demons of DeWitt Ranch. Where's that? Uh, a remote house uh, sitting. Uh, it is South Dakota. Dewitt, is, uh, South Dakota. Is, is, okay. uh, apparently, it, I couldn't. I, I couldn't. Okay, I'll just say this though for for fans searching for the actual ranch. It, it comes up in the story. It doesn't come up if you try to like find it. Oh, okay. So I don't know that it might be like just uh, what it's known locally as, not mm. necessarily known on the internet as. Yeah, yeah. Or like uh, it could have been bought and sold. Yeah, you know, like mm-hmm, things like that happen mm-hmm, all the time. Exactly. But it's uh, it's a story about a remote house sitting job for a young man that goes real wrong. Okay. Uh, next, the odd, sad story of the Pollock sisters. You can find a lot of info about them online. And it's, it's based, based around can a soul come back and can it come back to like the same family? Just some spooky stuff with uh, uh, about reincarnation. Oh, I think you can come back. This story lends a lot of credibility to that. I've, I've never been a big reincarnation person, but who, this is a weird, this is a real weird one. Oh, buddy, I'm coming back. Okay. You ready for this first story? I sure am. Okay. Quite a bit of setup. But yeah. And buckle up. Uh, this is one of the more intense haunting accounts I've come across. Cool. So the DeWitt Ranch, located about 10 miles west of a small South Dakota town, 
sits on the edge of a small bluff overlooking the river, and all the local ranchers and farmers draw their uh, that all the local ra- ranchers and farmers draw their irrigation water from a mm-hmm. uh, long winding gravel driveway that branches out from a longer winding gravel country uh, county road is the only way in or out. The old DeWitt home, a two-story Victorian, built in the early 1900s on the site of an older homestead uh, built in the mid-1800s. They're one of the first families in the area, apparently have the land deeds to prove it. And several years ago, the house was remodeled and beautifully restored. The property had been in the DeWitt family for generations, handed down from one son to the next until Marcus DeWitt, its present owner, at least at the time the story was written, inherited it. A few summers ago, Nate Palmer, a young 17-year-old family friend, spent some time there, time that led to today's story. Marcus's wife had just given birth to a newborn baby girl and the DeWitts and the new daughter and three other children, including 16-year-old Stephen. Nate's friend had decided to take a big vacation to a lakefront cabin and uh, that the family owned in Michigan for a week, and they'd asked Nate to stay at the place and watch over it. Time now for the Demons of DeWitt Ranch. Nate left from his house in town for the ranch late one afternoon, an hour or so before sundown. Weaving through the curves of the road and over a few old low water bridges, he finally crested a hill on the edge of the huge DeWitt property, made his way down to the last of the bridges, passed through a small patch of forest, and then came out into a wide open space of prairie that stretched uh, for about 100 yards out from the front of the home. Just like it had every time he'd visited the DeWitt ranch previously, the home creeped Nate out a bit as he drove up to it. You always got some goosebumps when the house came into view, when you popped out from the trees. It just looked like a haunted house. It always felt a bit spooky. One corner of the house formed a rotunda in which Stephen's room was located on the second floor. And this time, as Nate drove that last hundred yards, he saw someone standing in the shadows of Stephen's room. Oh, shit. Holding the curtain back and watching him pull up. Immediately, Nate wondered, who the hell could that be? No one else was supposed to be home. Did no one tell him that the plan had changed? He knew that his buddy Stephen wasn't that excited to go on this trip. Did he talk his parents into letting him stay? Cool, he thought. Unsupervised hang time with his buddy. Approaching the house, he saw the curtain fall back into place, swinging slightly. And they got the chills. That had to have been someone, in, uh, had to have been Stephen in his room, but somehow he knew it wasn't Stephen. So who was in the house? Nate locked up the car, went through the gate of the fence uh, in the yard, knocked on the door, waited for Stephen or whoever was inside to answer. After knocking several times and ringing the doorbell and getting no response, Nate, definitely more than a little spooked now, went to go grab the keys the DeWitts had hidden for him. He quickly moved across the yard past a three-foot statue of the Virgin Mary and toward what amounted to a cement room that had been built into the side of the hill, some sort of storm shelter that had been built around the time of the original homestead. Okay. The door to this little shelter was always unlocked, and he used the flashlight on his phone to grab the key that was hidden on the ground behind an old rusted piece of farm equipment about six feet inside the door. When he bent over to pick up the key, BAM! The heavy door slammed shut behind him. The noise spooked him bad enough to cause Nate to drop his phone. Shit! The phone gave off just enough light to actually make the room creepier than it would be if it were completely dark. Not enough light to be able to clearly see anything, but enough light to see some shadows. Now he was spooked more than ever, because he felt like he wasn't alone. His mind flashed on the figure in Stephen's room. Who the hell was in the house? Was someone else outside? Did they slam the door? No, no, it was just the wind. He thought as he got down on his hands and knees, reaching behind the equipment to grab his phone. Just as he grabbed it, he felt something right behind him. As he stood up, he suddenly was nervous to shine the flashlight behind him. 
something standing in between him and the door. He decided to count to three inside his head, then spin around, shine the light on the door, rush to it, push it open, and throw himself back outside into the fading daylight. Three. What if something is in the room with him? Jesus, what then? Two. Hit it. Hit it with everything you've got and keep moving. One, not going to die in this damn shelter. Go! Nate spun around and flashed his light towards the door, noting that nothing stood in his way as he stepped towards the door. Did something just move into the shadows? The thought flashed across his mind quickly as a shadow flashed across his peripheral vision. Oh, God. Oh, God. Nate grabbed the door handle, pushed it open. There was something right behind him. (gasps) He burst out into the lawn and tripped and fell face down into the dirt, his back to the shelter. He quickly spun over to face the open door. Nothing. There was nothing there. Nate laughed. The nervous laugh of someone trying to convince themselves of just being silly, but not totally believing it. Then he saw a flicker of movement from behind, from deep inside the dark room, something coming towards him. BAM! The door slammed shut again and Nate quickly popped up to his feet, only like the young and scared can. What the fuck was that, he thought. Just the wind, he lied to himself. Now he still had to go inside the house. Uh-uh. He glanced back up at Stephen's room, couldn't see anyone standing there now. He returned to the door and knocked once more and waited a few moments. Then he rang the doorbell again and waited a few moments more. Hello? He yelled. Stephen! You home? Anyone? Nothing. Damn it. Guess he'd have to let himself in. Nate unlocked the door as the sun faded behind the hills. He turned on the light in the foyer and sat his bags on the bench. He called out again. Stephen! You here, dude? On the right side of the entranceway were the stairs that led up to the bedrooms. Under the stairs, next to the bench upon which his bag sat was the door that led to the basement. Beyond the door and in front of him were the dining room, the kitchen being to its left. To the right of the dining room were the rest of the downstairs, a few sitting rooms, the library, and an entertainment room. It was a big house. Exciting when he'd been thinking about it the past few days, he was going to feel like the lord of the manor. Now he just thought, great, plenty of room for someone or something to hide. Room by room, Nate began to search the place turning on every light as he did so, hoping to make it to all of them before it was dark outside. He started with the first floor before working his way upstairs. The stairs ascended to an L-shaped hall. Just to the left were the master bedroom and bath, to the right and down the hall, past another bathroom, were the baby room and a spiral staircase that led to one of the sitting rooms below. The guest room Nate would stay in, uh, as well as Stephen's bedroom, were around the corner at the end of the L. Nate searched these rooms and then went down to the basement, which had been renovated into a modern living room complete with the bar. Thank God it wasn't some old-school creepy basement. Continuing to call out for Stephen as he made his way around the house, he found nothing. Confused but satisfied that no one was inside the house with him, he looked everywhere. He started to unpack his things in the guest room. Then he set up his new Fender Telecaster electric guitar, small Marshall practice amp in the entertainment room. He hoped some solid riffs would help shake off the spooks he was feeling, and he was right. A few Zeppelin and Stone songs later, he loved classic rock, And he wasn't thinking about getting freaked out grabbing the key or thinking he'd seen someone in Steven's window anymore. He signed into the DeWitt's TV with his Netflix account and immediately skipped the recommended horror movie selection. (laughs) Nope, not this trip, he thought, at least not tonight. After a few movies, it was time for bed. And leaving most of the lights on and double-checking to make sure the front and back doors were locked, Nate climbed into bed ready to fall asleep. He'd managed to totally shake away any feelings of being scared, chalking it up to nerves about staying in a big house far from town without any neighbors around, way out alone. And he was almost totally asleep when he heard what sounded like footsteps above him. Shit. The attic. He'd forgotten to check the attic. Oh no. He had not checked every room in the house earlier. 
He'd only been up there one time before, years ago when Stephen had pulled the ladder down and they'd went up and looked through an old box of his grandfather's baseball cards. There were all kinds of boxes up there full of all sorts of belongings going several generations back. It was a pretty big attic with a ceiling tall enough for a full-grown man to stand up straight and walk around at its peak. So who was walking up there now? Nate slowly got up and quietly opened his door to the hallway he'd thankfully left lit up. No! Creak, creak, creak. He could still hear someone up there. He walked quietly down the hall to make sure they didn't hear him. He made it to the spot underneath the drawstring that pulls down the attic door and reached up and grabbed it. Why? Creak, creak, creak. He stopped himself. He'd rang the doorbell over and over just a few hours ago. He'd knocked numerous times. He'd called out for Stephen. He'd called out as he'd walked around the house. If someone really was up there, like it sounded like, it sure as hell wasn't going to be Stephen or any of the DeWitts. It was someone who didn't want him to know that they were there. Who would that be, a burglar? But there were no cars parked outside. Or were there? He hadn't checked the DeWitt barn. It was possible to park a car in there. Was some crazy psychopath in the attic some killer? Nate thought if he went up there and ran into whoever the hell they were, nothing good was going to happen. He considered calling the police instead. But what was he going to tell them? That he thought someone was hiding up in the attic, but he wasn't sure because he was too scared to check? Yes. That he thought he saw someone in Stephen's window but wasn't totally sure? That something spooked him up in the concrete shelter, but it might have been just the wind? He knew several of the local officers. It was a small town. If they didn't find anyone when they drove out and checked, they would for sure talk about it, and he would never hear the end of it. Should he just leave? He could drive back home. But what about his deal with the DeWitts? That'd be pretty shitty to bail on his housing job the first night, and again, if he did bail because he got scared, he would never hear the end of it. Nate settled on locking himself in his room, even slid the dresser in front of the door. Good, good, good. He'd deal with it in the morning, he thought, when it was light out. Creak, creak, creak. Nate laid awake and heard the occasional sounds of someone pacing in the attic for what seemed like the entire night. At some point, he did fall asleep, and when he woke, it was light out. It had been light for hours. After grabbing a late breakfast down in the kitchen, then grabbing a flashlight from the garage and a baseball bat from Stephen's room, Nate headed up for the attic. Don't do it, buddy. He would have liked to have grabbed a gun from the gun safe in the garage as well, but the damn thing was always locked, and he didn't have the key for that. He laughed a bit about thinking of how gun safety might get him killed today. He pulled the attic stairs down slowly and quietly. Straining to hear movement above him, he slid the bat through his belt so it hung down almost like a sword from his side. Shining the flashlight into the gloomy attic, thankfully partially lit up with sunlight, he carefully climbed into the attic and quickly swung the light around the room. Nothing. He quickly climbed fully inside, pulled the bat out from his belt, found the pull-down string from the single light bulb up there and pulled it. Still nothing. He spent the next few minutes poking around the boxes, looking behind them until he was satisfied that no one could be up there hiding. (sighs) Then he headed back downstairs, checked every other room in the house again, thought about checking the storm shelter again, but nah. Nah. No thanks. He checked the barn. Uh, and if there was a car, he was, you know, good, assuming someone couldn't be in that little concrete cellar. Nate told himself if someone was hiding out there, they wouldn't be able to get into the house anyway after quickly peeking in the barn and not seeing a vehicle. He made sure the doors were locked in the house, spent the rest of the day inside, practicing a little guitar, binging a bunch of comedy on TV, and watching YouTube and playing some games on his phone. That evening, the phone rang, and it was Mr. DeWitt. He wanted to know how things were going, and Nate told him things were fine. Things were just fine. And they actually were. He wasn't hurt, spooked, but not hurt. And he hadn't seen anything for sure. 
I mean, he thought he'd seen someone standing in Stephen's room, but no one was in the house, so did he really? He thought he'd heard footsteps, but no one was up there, so maybe it was just the sounds of an old house on a hill. He told Stephen's uh, Stephen's dad, Marcus, that all was well. That night he fell asleep to more of the creaking sounds. It seemed like they didn't start again until the sun went down. The next morning it was warm and sunny out, and he wanted to get out of the house. There was a trail that led down to the river, and he walked down and skipped some stones. He made a mental note to maybe bring a fishing pole back the next day. He walked back to the property to find the door to that old concrete shelter wide open. Oh, dear. He knew it was shut when he'd left. He'd glanced over it, hoping it was shut, and remembered feeling relieved when it was. And now this. Damn it. It was just the wind somehow. It had to be. Nate planned on walking over to the shelter. No better time than the middle of the day. But first, he was going to grab a flashlight he'd left in the house. That's when he noticed that the door to the house also open. He got the chills. Did he leave the door open? There was no way. That just wasn't like him. Just then he thought he saw movement from the corner of his eye, movement from Stephen's room. Oh, God. When he looked up at the window, he couldn't see anything. But he got the distinct feeling that something up there was now watching him. He grabbed his phone and thought about calling his mom in town. Yeah. But but to say what? Hi, Mom. I know I'm basically a grown-up now. But some doors here at the DeWitt house are open, and I think a monster or something snuck in and is staring at me. Yes. Summoning up all his courage, Nate walked to the barn and grabbed an axe he'd seen resting against the wall the day before. Oh, boy. Axe in hand, flashlight, uh, uh, you know, he's getting the flashlight, or no, flashlight on his phone turned on, because he hadn't went in and grabbed it. He walked into the cellar shelter after propping the door open with the large rock. What he quickly saw shook him. That big piece of old equipment the key was hit under, maybe a sickle mower? Someone had moved it several feet. Maybe. Shit. Nate couldn't remember exactly where it stood before, but he was pretty sure it had been moved. Wynn couldn't do that. And then BAM! The door to the house just slammed shut. Then the door to the shelter pushed against the rock holding it open. It was suddenly windy out. Nate looked up and saw storm clouds rolling in. Weird. He had not noticed them before. He decided to bring the axe into the house and do another search. He wondered if he'd be able to last the week here. He doubted it. He highly doubted it. Nate walked into the house, walked from room to room, axe in hand, and found no one. He heard nothing. At least he didn't hear anything again until the sun went down that night. And that's when he heard the footsteps up in the attic yet again. Creak, creak, creak. He just decided to lock himself in his room yet again for the night when the phone rang. It was Marcus, asking him how he was still holding up. This time, he didn't say fine. He wasn't fine. He was fucking terrified. And he ended up telling Stephen's dad everything that had happened and what Marcus said next surprised him. Did Stephen put you up to this, Nate? Put me up to what? Nate asked. To confirming his stories about the old shelter and his room and the attic. Goosebumps. Nate had goosebumps all over his body. Oh, God. Stephen hadn't told him anything about the house, but now that he thought about it, Stephen had seemed off the past few months, like he hadn't been sleeping well, like he was always a bit stressed out or something. No, said Nate. Honest, Stephen hasn't said anything to me. What has he said to you? Nate heard Mr. DeWitt sigh deeply, and then he said, God damn it. You promise, Nate, this is, this is serious, really serious. Promise, said Nate, confused. And then Mr. DeWitt told him that Stephen had gotten in trouble a few months ago for messing around with the Ouija board in his room. <gasps> Marcus was a religious man and wouldn't tolerate something like that being used in his house. Stephen told him he'd gotten rid of it, but then Marcus found it out in the concrete shelter just a few weeks ago, and Stephen admitted to using it out there. No! Marcus had broke it and threw it in the trash. 
And ever since, Stephen and his other two children and Mrs. DeWitt had complained of doors slamming shut, feeling a presence in the old shelter in Stephen's room, the feeling of being watched, and especially noises coming from the attic. Stephen told him that's where he'd found it. He'd found the Ouija board in a box of old things in the attic. Stephen also claimed to have seen a shadowy man in his room. Marcus hadn't heard or seen anything, and he just thought his family were working themselves up. He'd hoped that getting out of their house would calm everyone down and that if Nate stayed there and didn't hear anything, it would prove to all of them that this was all in their heads. Nate was pissed. He had been set up. He'd been asked to stay in a haunted house alone, and he told as much to Mr. DeWitt. I'm sorry, son, said Marcus. No part of me thought any of this was real. Not totally, at least. Just just go on home. I'll pay you for the full week. And then, Stephen wants to talk to you real quick. Marcus, whispered Stephen, his voice shaky. I'm so sorry, dude. Yeah, man, said Nate, you should be. It's pretty fucked up. You should have told me. I, I, I know, said Stephen, his voice growing even shakier. But it was you, or it was me, or one of my brothers and sister. What? Said Nate, oh what the hell God. are you talking about? That's what they told me. They told me if I wasn't going to let him into me, they were going to take my little brothers or my little sister unless I gave him someone else. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. And then before Nate could ask anything, Stephen hung up the phone. When Nate started to call him back, he heard the cellar door slam open. The storm shelter. When Nate started to call him back, uh, sorry, yeah, he heard this. He looked out the window, saw what felt like something you would only see in a nightmare. He could see something walk out of the old shelter and out into the rain. A very shadowy but humanish figure had moved across the lawn through the dark unnaturally fast. When it got to the house, he heard the front door slam open. Boom! Fuck. Whatever was in the attic now wasn't just walking. It was like it was stomping. He heard that as well. And then the sounds of footsteps on the stairway. Whatever had come from the shelter was now coming up the stairs. Nate then heard the attic staircase drop down on its own. Shit. Whatever was above him was coming down into the hallway. Were there two of them? What were they? Nate had to get out of the house and quick. Boom! The thing or maybe the things were slamming into his bedroom door now, rocking the dresser he'd slid behind it. As fast as he could, Nate opened the second story window, climbed out onto the roof where he slipped, slid down, luckily feet first, and fell off into the lawn. He landed not far from the Virgin Mary statue and saw, even in the dark in the rain, what seemed to be blood coming from her eyes. Oh my God. He scrambled to his feet, amazed he hadn't broken anything or sprained an ankle, jumped into his car, sped away as fast as he could. Before he made it to the trees, he looked in his rearview mirror and he saw something that still haunts him. Two shadowy forms side by side in the window of the guest room he was just staying in, watching him drive away. He didn't look in his mirror again until he made it to the paved highway several miles later. This happened several years ago, and Nate has never went back to the DeWitt Ranch or seen anyone from the family again. He texted enough with Steven to get him to drop off his guitar and the rest of his stuff at a mutual friend's house, and then he stopped contacting him. He doesn't know what happened to the demons he thinks he for sure saw that night. He heard from some friends that the DeWitts had a, DeWitts had a priest come to cleanse their home a few weeks later, but doesn't know if it worked. For all he knows... Those two things took one of the DeWitt children when Stephen wasn't able to give him to them. What kind of deal did Stephen make? Yikes. Yee. Yeah, that one gave me some chills. Oh my God. I have house sat so many times, like in my young 20s. Right. Oh my God. It's like a nightmare scenario. Nightmare. Because you always think you hear something in somebody else's house. That's just natural, right? right. You don't know right. the sounds of their house. And a big house way out, away from everybody. And then if you already think you're seeing or hearing things or whatever, 
And then whether you believe it or not, if you're told that Ouija board story and then what his friend told him, it's like that would scare the shit out of, I think, pretty much anybody. And what a weird place to leave the keys also. I don't like that. Why'd you leave him down in that cellar? Why couldn't they have just given him keys? Mm, I guess that's a country thing. I, I think about like um, different people like growing up where they just always had a key somewhere hidden around the property. And it was just like. Was it in a storm cellar? No, but that's like an unusual kind of property <sighs> See, feature. We, don't, we didn't have any of those growing up around Riggins because we didn't have um, tornadoes. tornadoes and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, did, I didn't like that. I was like, oh, you're being set up. You're being set up. Ugh. Yeah. So we have a picture uh, of the DeWitt Ranch. Oh, my God. What is that? <laughs> Couldn't find anything at the DeWitt Ranch. So Ugh. I just found that came up when I just. Uh, what is that? I Googled scariest photo ever. I have no idea. Well, I don't know that that's the scariest photo ever. When you first ever. see it, it's pretty creepy. Yeah, but now that I'm looking at it, it's kind of funny. <laughs> what is that? I don't know. Like, a, I think it's a ventriloquist doll. I wouldn't, oh, want, I wouldn't want that little it? fucker. I think there's like, yeah, I think I see like a little like stick in its back. Yeah. Ah, no, thanks. I hate those things. Ugh. Of course, I don't mind Woody from, we have a little Woody doll from Time Suck here in the office. And I've gotten used to Woody. You have? Hmm? Oh, my oh, That's him. how it all begins. He's up on a shelf watching us. Yeah, he sure is. Got his eyes on you. So that's a pretty spooky one, right? Oh, man. I mean, what would you do? It's like if, okay, because sometimes when we go out of town for work, which obviously is not happening right now, but right. when we go out of town for work, someone stays at our house. What if I called to like check on her and oh she was God, like, tell worst. I wouldn't be able to come home. I mean, I would come home, but I wouldn't be able to go back into that house. Like I would. Yeah, I didn't think of the angle of like the homeowner. But, I mean, that would be the worst if you thought you were seeing things. And then kind of set somebody up. I mean, but like, but like, we're hoping to prove to yourself, like, it's just in my head. Mm-hmm. And then they see the same things. Oh my God. I was just thinking about the that foot. You got to try to move if you can, I think, at that point. Do you remember the footsteps on our back patio? Oh, yeah. On the top step? Yeah. What did we find out that was? Nothing. I thought, I thought that mystery was solved. That was super weird. They were there and like it, no, it oh, rained. No, we did find out what it was. We did find out what it was. What is it? Sealant. It was sealant. It was whoever was spraying the concrete with the sealant. They were standing you, there you when don't they sprayed. Spray it. You roll it on with a roller. Well, maybe they were standing there. That's what I thought we figured out with that. That doesn't even make sense. Oh, based well, on the way I've that been, you do it. That's what I've been telling myself. Well, I saw it and then was super freaked out by it because I was home. I think I was home and you were out of town. And then our house sitter stayed and she saw it. Yeah, uh, yeah, that'd be the worst. Like, I guess we'll find out because we have to have the back patio resealed. So, right, right. If right. they go away, then then maybe. But I don't really see how that's possible because you would just like stand in the grass and do it why would you know. stand on the cement to do it i don't know i haven't sealed the, the patio. me either so i could be totally wrong <laughs> uh you ready for another one before we get to yours oh man okay yeah yeah, yeah that yeah. really got me got me going man yeah that one um yeah that one just uh i was here in the building uh working on that one by myself and definitely uh I feel like if I get goosebumps when I'm putting it together, then I'm like, okay, it's probably going to give other people goosebumps. Yeah. It's freaking me out when I'm doing it. This next one, uh, more interesting than scary, I would oh, say. Okay, good, good. Okay. So I can have a little like sigh of relief. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Before we get to this is just, yeah, just an odd one. Uh, it de- sounds familiar. What is it again? The Who Sisters? The Pollock Sisters. Pollock. It's, it's pretty well known in this uh, world. Uh, death can seem so final. One minute, someone's there. A person you can have a conversation with or at least see and touch and then a moment later, something vital has left them. Their soul or their essence moved on to some other plane of existence or maybe not. 
What if some of the shadowy entities we see or some of the ghosts we hear are those souls waiting for a new body to call home? A lot of people do believe in some type of reincarnation. The concept of reincarnation, a long-held belief in several major religions, including Hinduism and Buddhism. Vikings believed in reincarnation, as did even many early Christians. Some Jewish communities believed in reincarnation. According to data released by the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life from 2009, a quarter of Americans believe in reincarnation. Does the mid-20th century English tale of the Pollock sisters provide solid evidence that some type of reincarnation is real? Some people think so. Time now for the tale of the mysterious return of the Pollock sisters. John Pollock was born in Bristol in 1920. In the early 1940s, he met a young woman named Florence and they fell in love got married, and had two sons before, in 1946, Florence gave birth to the daughter she'd always wanted. They named her Joanna. In 1951, Florence gave birth to another daughter, whom they named Jacqueline. In Hexham, England, Florence and John stayed busy running a grocery and milk delivery business, and the two young girls were raised primarily by Florence's mother while the two elder boys went to school. Since the parents were working a bunch. Sure. Uh, The girls were inseparable. Joanna treated Jacqueline like her own baby, and Jacqueline loved the attention. Cute. Joanna was imaginative. She liked wearing costumes and making up plays for her baby sister and grandma to watch. Both girls liked combing other people's hair, especially their father's. At age three, Jacqueline fell into a bucket, an accident that left a tiny scar on her forehead above her right eye. The scar was especially visible in cold weather. Jacqueline also had a dark round birthmark on her left hip. Both girls were safe, happy, and healthy. At least they were until May of 1957 when tragedy struck. Joanna was 11 and Jacqueline was 6 on the morning of May 7th when they were both struck by a car while walking to church. When the car hit them, they were tossed into the air, quote, like cricket balls, a witness said. Both died almost instantly. Then just 17 months later, on October 4th, 1958, the deceased and, uh, I'm sorry, the the still grieving girl's mother, she was not deceased, that'd be a weird twist if an undead mother... (laughs) Um, the still grieving girl's mother, Florence, gave birth to twins. Uh, they named the girls Jillian and Jennifer. Oh, more with the J's. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and right away, there was something uncanny about these girls. Jennifer had a dark, round birthmark near her hip and another birthmark in the shape of a line above her right eye. Interesting. Exactly like Jacqueline's birthmark and scar. A genetic test later determined that the twins were monozygotic, uh, meaning they came from one egg that split into two and were identical genetically. How then did Jennifer have two birthmarks while Jillian had none? Doctors couldn't figure out what caused this. It was a mystery, the first of many. About three months after the twins were born, the family moved from Hexham to Whitley Bay. In 1962, when the girls were three, the family returned to Hexham for a visit. On a walk around town, the girls pointed to a school. Florence tried to hustle them along, but Jennifer and Jillian insisted on staying. We went there, they said. It was, of course, a school that their dead sisters, sisters they never knew, Joanna and Jacqueline, had attended. What? Also, when they walked towards a park but were not yet inside of it, Jillian and Jennifer said they wanted to go across a road to the park in the swings, clearly knowing a shortcut their grandma used to take their older sisters. But they'd never been there before. Even stranger, when the girls were four, they started asking their parents to have certain toys. And they didn't mean new toys. They wanted certain toys back. Florence and John swore they had never spoken about Joanna or Jacqueline to the twins in this way. After the tragedy, they packed up the girls' toys and put them in the attic. To their knowledge, the girls had never seen or heard of these toys. But when Florence brought these toys down, Jillian quickly claimed the doll that had belonged to Joanna, and Jennifer took the one that belonged to Jacqueline. 
Their parents asked them if they were now getting these toys back, when did they first receive them? Jillian said they'd been gifts from Santa. A strange answer since it was the middle of summer, but the correct answer. The toys, in fact, had been Christmas presents for Joanna and Jennifer. Also, it wouldn't have been uncommon for the little girls to argue over who got which toys, but that didn't happen with the toys from the attic ever. The girls seemed to always know exactly which toys belonged to whom. A short time later, Florence overheard Jillian and Jennifer in the other room whispering to each other about something. When Florence paused at the door, she saw Jillian cradling Jennifer's head, saying, The blood's coming out of your eyes. <gasps> That's where the car hit you. Another day, Jillian once pointed to Jennifer's forehead birthmark and said, that's the mark you got when you fell in a bucket. Things kept getting stranger. Florence had worn a smock while helping John with the milk delivery business, but she'd stopped working after the accident and put the smock in storage. When the twins were about five, John wore the smock to do some painting, and Jennifer asked him, Why are you wearing mummy's coat? When Jillian didn't recognize it, Jennifer got annoyed, and John remembered that Joanna, being older, had been at school when Florence worked. Only Jacqueline had been around to see the smock. What? When John asked Jennifer how she knew the smock was Florence's, Jennifer said her mom had worn it when delivering milk. The twins even had their older sister's mannerisms. Jillian liked to mother Jennifer, even though they were the same age. They instinctively looked to their grandmother for guidance and permission before their parents, even though Florence was not working anymore. They loved to comb people's hair. Jillian liked to act and put on little performances for the family. What's more, at the time of her death, Jacqueline was still learning to write. Her teacher was concerned that she was still holding the pencil upright in her fist. When Jillian and Jennifer began learning to write at age five, Jillian immediately held the pencil properly while Jennifer held it upright in her fist. Ugh. She only started holding it properly at age seven and even as a young adult would still sometimes revert to the fist grip. The twins also had the same gait as their dead sisters when they walked, even the same general builds, with Jillian being somewhat more slender as Joanna had been and Jennifer a bit more stocky as was the case with Jacqueline. And again, if the girls had come from the same egg and were identical in their DNA, how did this happen? Maybe strangest of all was the girls' intense fear of cars. The twins would not cross the street unless they were holding hands and there were no cars in sight. When a car went by the house, they often cringed at the sound. Once when a car engine started near them in an enclosed alleyway, John saw his daughters begin to scream and cry, The car! They yelled, The car! It's coming for us! Reports of the twins' behavior eventually attracted the attention of Dr. Ian Stevenson, a psychologist who studied reincarnation in children. He published the first edition of 20 Cases of Reincarnation in 1966, and the Pollock Girls were one of his earliest cases. He worked primarily with children, believing that adults were more likely to act as though they were some reincarnated spirit, not because it was true, but because they were influenced by books and films and friends and religion and wanted it to be true. What Dr. Stevenson uh, has found in his decades of research is very interesting. He believes that many children experience memories from past lives but are discouraged from talking about it by their parents who were worried about social acceptance and being labeled as outcasts. Stevenson kept in contact with the family for years, all the way up to Florence's death in 1979 and John's death in 1985. Both parents were adamant, right up until their deaths, that they had never mentioned anything about Joanna and Jacqueline to the twins until they were much older. Also important to note that Dr. Stevenson considered the possibility that the twins could have been influenced by what their parents said, but eventually came to the conclusion that it would have been impossible for them to so exactly mold the behaviors and recollections of the twins to match so closely to their dead sisters through that alone. Stevenson strongly believes that what he witnessed with the twins, when coupled with hundreds of other similar cases, goes beyond rational explanation and undoubtedly points to reincarnation being real. He truly believes the Pollock twins were the reincarnations of their dead sisters. 
Where are the twins today? Not surprisingly, they didn't enjoy being seen as spiritual oddities and have retreated into very private lives. Hmm. Is this the scariest story we've covered here on Scared to Death? Of course not. Does it point to, as we learn time and time again on this show, that maybe death isn't the final end, the last shut door? It certainly seems to. Yeek. That's crazy. How weird would that be for the parents? What the f- mm. Yeah, yeah. Very, very strange story. Here, this first picture, uh, this is just a newspaper clipping, just saying, giving, I guess, some more credibility regarding the death of Joanna and Jacqueline. Oh, there was a third kid that died. Yeah, yeah. So the, the third but not- But he was not reincarnate? Well, not part of the same. Yeah, I don't know. The, the story doesn't mention anything with him, or I don't think. I, I think he was not. Uh, you know, he wasn't family. Well, obviously, but yeah. Right, right, right. I was just curious if that came up in your Mm-mm. research. Didn't come up at all. Yeah. Uh, this is a, a photo of the young Pollock twins. Okay. <laughs> Cute. Here's a more uh, recent picture of the twins. So they've gotten. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. So there's now those those are just some other twins. Those are the Taylor twins, I guess. Okay. I, who are the Taylor twins? They I don't know. Some the porn, porn stars. stars? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then uh here's here's the real picture of the Pollock twins. That was good. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they do look eerily similar. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I guess you're going to look, I mean, there's a little bit differences, but I mean, life, you know, how you kind of live your life is well, going to affect. And also they're going to look similar because same parents. No, I, oh right. I, I meant they, they don't look like identical, identical to me oh, because no, like I, no, as I, life goes on. I meant they look very similar to their dead sisters. Oh, that picture below is them when they were younger. Oh, because because remember the first girls were not actually twins. Oh, it was that's older and I, younger. I, I know, but I, I I thought that the first picture you were showing me was the dead girls. No, 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 no. Sorry, I was confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Got it. Yep, and then do uh, we have a picture of the dead girls? No. Other than that newspaper clipping? Other than the newspaper clipping, no. There was nothing. So it was, old. It's so old, really yeah. grainy and everything, and yeah, not not good definition. Uh, one last picture of the twins. Uh, this is. Hi guys. Of course, just creepy little twin dolls. I feel like those are some dolls that we looked at when we were coming up with the scared to death logo. Oh yeah, they look very. I thought familiar. they looked familiar. You're absolutely right. <laughs> You're like I know those guys from somewhere. I've just looked at so many creepy things now. It's hard to place what I've seen where. Yeah. That's out. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. At some point, I feel like we should name our dolls. I know. We do need to do that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I forgot about that. But yes. Well, yes, we yeah. will. How, I mean, I, that would just be so weird. I was trying mm-hmm. to think of like different scenarios in which, excuse me, in which you would die and come back like it's specifically like the parent child because it'd be different if like I died and then you married someone else it's not like you're not going to start with someone who's so much younger that like I could reincarnate through <laughs> right right so it can't be that not, yeah well if, if it happens they, you are <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein Jr. um just that's on my so, mind because we've been watching know, that oh my god that show's so disturbing Ugh. he was such a disturbing piece of shit so fucked up but yeah but, but, but yeah i mean it would just have to be like a parent child situation or even like a maybe like a cousin or something yeah but like i was just kind of flashing on like my cousin passed away many years ago now but he was young and mm-hmm. one of my other cousins just had a baby recently i'm like well, what if that happened how weird would that be so weird so weird so bizarre but I th- I think I think it's possible to kind of come back. 
I guess there's, you know, there's so many unknowns. And, and I guess it's the thing, like, I've always bumped on with reincarnation. I'm like, well, yeah, but, like, I, I go to this weird kind of binary place of, like, all or nothing, where I'm like, mm-hmm. like, either everyone comes back or no one comes back. And I guess that doesn't have to be true. That doesn't have to be true. Right. Because maybe like, not everyone wants to come back. I mean, with little kids, it's almost like, well, it's super unfinished business. They didn't get to live their life. Yeah. So you come back to, to do it over. Right. Or maybe they came back to comfort their parents because maybe they thought that that would, I mean, it clearly freaked them out, but... Yeah, yeah. Just an odd, odd story. Yeah. And I, the, I like those stories that just give like, um, I don't know, just, I guess more credence to, to the entire spectrum of things that can't be proven in, empirically, like in a laboratory, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. What, um, what, what was that guy? He was like a psychologist. He studied reincarnation. I didn't even know that that was a thing that people really well, I mean, I, I mean, studied. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, mean I, I didn't look up like his credentials. He is, he, sure. you know, he wrote that book. But, uh, I, I, you know, Dr. Stevenson is his name. If anybody wants to look him up, uh, Dr. Steve Brule, Dr. Steve Brule, Dr. Ian Stevenson, I A N, yeah, Stevenson. Okay, says psychologist. Psychologist. Okay, sorry, I just couldn't I, remember. So I, I, I mean, my guess, and this is speaking out of my ass because I mm-hmm. did not look him up credential wise. My guess is that he, if he has a degree in psychology, mm-hmm. the degree has nothing to do with reincarnation, and no. that's what he chose to study after getting a degree. Yeah, like maybe just some yeah. weird coincidences during I think, practice. I don't think any any credible uni- – what I consider a credible university deals uh, out reincarnation degrees. I, <laughs> I like, don't I think f- so either. I feel, I feel like weekend seminars because there are those yeah. weird places where you can get, you can be like a doctorate and just basically – a doctor in basically any you can thing. You can get a doctorate in like Superman. You, yeah, you can be a Superman doctor. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? <laughs> I didn't. Well, now you know. You can be – you can be you can get a doctorate in crystal crystallology. Hey, hey, hey. Buddy, get a weekend weekend doctorate, dude. You better watch it. One day you're really gonna regret all of that. You're gonna something terrible is gonna happen. You're gonna be please put crystals on my chakras, save me. <laughs> if I ever in earnest <laughs> say please put crystals on my chakras, I want you to push me off a cliff. <gasps> no, I'll hug you closer. <laughs> <laughs> Give me some flight crystals and push me off a cliff. No. Oh, fly. Fl- flight crystals aren't a thing. No one said they Figured give you magical Figured powers. Find them. You find, find them. Find some flight amethyst. You're an idiot. Okay. How dare you? How dare you? For shame. We haven't talked about crystals in so long. Some people were thrilled that we hadn't. Some <laughs> right. people are going to be so mad uh, at you for bringing oh, it yeah, up some again. Some people rolling their eyes just, oh my God. God the the fucking crystals. Like my favorite things are like, uh, they hate hearing about the crystals. Mm-hmm. Uh, they hate my fuzzy socks. <laughs> and I should never curse. But like, right. you're allowed to curse, but mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to curse. Those are my favorite things. Um, okay, before I dive into the stories, yeah. remember like, uh, I don't even know, maybe going back uh, at least a dozen episodes, we had a family who they were looking to rent a new home in Colorado and they mm-hmm. found a rental house like down the street from their parents. And it was sort of a little, it felt a little telling and they even said so in the story. Like, mm-hmm. it, That's just a car outside. Oh my God. God, that scared me. You guys can't hear some of the things that we can hear. And um, these in-ears, they're so sensitive. They pick up sounds outside. Yeah. And it just sounded like... Yeah, yeah. Sounded very that ghostly. Was, that was awful. But I remember, yeah. 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 So, so they rented this house. And uh, the husband slash father works on the road a lot. And he was like, he would like, try and call his wife. And then the phone would drop mm-hmm. and he wouldn't be able to get through. And this, the house is definitely haunted. But he said in the story that they don't have the financial means got it, got it. Yes. to get out. Yes. Okay. Yes. So 
since we told that story just last week, somebody mm-hmm. was catching up on episodes and they heard it and they sent me an email and said, I'm a real estate agent in mm-hmm. Colorado. I absolutely think I can help these people get out of there. Okay. Can you connect me? And I'm usually so good. Like I normally take the yeah. stories and I move them into another folder so they don't get used twice yep. and so that I can keep them in one spot. Mm-hmm. And that email is just missing. Okay. Every other story we've ever done, I have it. Yeah. So... Spooky, creepy, strange. But if you're listening, uh, whomever you are, I'm so sorry. I don't know your name. I'm so sorry I can't find the, the message that you sent in. Please email me. There is someone who wants to help right. you get out of your haunted house. You can officially GTFO. <laughs> and so here we go. Uh, okay. So now we are moving on to a haunting that uh, continues to this day, a current haunting. Okay. All right. Hey, Dan and Lindsay. When I think about whether I'm a creep or a peeper, there is an exception. I'm a creep in all things scary until it dips into paranormal shit. I'm barely even a peeper when it comes to that, Mm -hmm. and here's why. When I was seven, some scary things would happen at night. I would be woken up to the sound of my closet doorknob being fucked with and then opening just a crack. There were multiple times when I would look at the closet and see a darker than dark figure with deep red eyes Uh. looking back at me. I tried my best to ignore it, but the more that I did, the worse it got. There was one night in particular that made me realize I couldn't just ignore it. I once again was woken up to the noise of my closet doorknob being turned with the slightest creak as it opened. Instead of turning over to look at it, I kept my eyes closed and continued to face the wall. I laid there, trying my hardest to quiet my breathing so I could hear everything that surrounded me. I thought for a second that I had heard something right beside me, but then there was nothing. I squeezed my eyes closed and must have fallen asleep because when I woke up, I felt my bed move Ah. and I was way too scared to turn towards whatever was beside me. I slowly pulled the blanket up over my head. The weight of whatever it was that was beside me started to shift and spread. It no longer felt like a singular person, but instead a bunch of small creatures moving all around me as I continued to hide under my blanket. I could feel them as they jumped around me, and I could feel as their breath breath pushed through the very blanket I was hiding under as their heated breath collided with my skin. There was something in my room with me, and then there wasn't. My experiences didn't end after that one night, but I didn't speak to anyone about what happened that night and was still happening quite frequently for almost eight years. My grandpa passed away months before that one terrifying night that seemed to start it all. I had convinced myself that it was him just trying to communicate, though I didn't know why he would want to scare me. Mm-hmm. I lived in the same house for 15 years and only moved because my mom had gotten really sick. My grandma owned a duplex, and she lived on one side, and my mom and I moved into the other side. I figured that once we moved, whatever had been fucking with me would stay in my childhood home, but that wasn't the case. I've lived on the, I lived on the second floor of the duplex. It was the master bedroom and bathroom up there, and that's it. My mom would have been up there, but she couldn't walk up the stairs because she was so ill. Mm-hmm. Slowly, the paranormal shit started to step up its game. It started with noises of someone walking up the stairs, my bedroom door would open and close, and I would hear shuffling in my closet. The two things that made me talk to my mom about everything was how absolutely freezing my room was compared to the rest of the house and a picture being moved. The steps up to my room had a landing halfway up, and as soon as you stepped onto that landing, you could feel a dramatic drop in temperature. We tried everything to get heat up there, but absolutely nothing worked. 
and then the picture being moved is putting it lightly. I was woken up to the sound of someone walking up the stairs early one morning. I heard my door creak open, and then a picture I had on my desk flew across the room, breaking glass as it w- d- I'm sorry, breaking glass right before it slammed the door shut. I was terrified. When I told my mom, she was a little skeptical, but then I showed her the evidence of the picture and had nonstop been bitching about the coldness in my room. Although she was religious, she wasn't sure on what she could do to help me. Mm-hmm. She found a little prayer that she could recite and then worked on pushing the darkness out. She cleansed my entire room, every corner, top to bottom. She also decided she would reach out to a friend of a friend of ours, a medium. My mom had never spoken to this woman before today, nor did this woman know about me or the reason that my mom was reaching out. When the woman answered the phone, it wasn't a typical hello. Instead, she said, I'm glad you called. This entity isn't who your daughter thinks it is, and she needs your help. She told my mom that this thing had latched itself to me and she couldn't tell who or what it was, but it was dark and it was only getting stronger. She gave my mom some more advice on things that we could both do and we went to work. Once my mom became aware of it, it started fucking with her too. Turning off and on light switches where my mom would be, we would both hear voices that weren't from each other, though we swore it was the other person. Before I go any further, it needs to be known that I am terrified of fire. Mm -hmm. I am overly cautious about unplugging things or turning shit off because I don't want the chance of the possibility of a fire happening. I started seeing my now fiance and wanted to stay at his house one night as I had family in town that were staying at my place. We were just about to go to bed when I got this terrible feeling in my chest and I felt like I needed to go home. I couldn't explain what it was that was giving me this huge push, but I was almost in tears because we weren't moving fast enough to get to my my house. Mm -hmm. When we got back to the house, I pulled into the garage. The room that I live in was above the garage. We walked in through the laundry room and I immediately smelled something weird as soon as we walked in. However, no one else noticed it. So when we said, so we said hi to my family and that, that were in the living room besides my mom, who was upstairs asleep in her bed before turning to go upstairs. I flipped the switch at the bottom of the stairs, just like every time before, but the light didn't come on. I was confused and decided I would just check it out in the morning. Mm -hmm. When I got to the landing, I noticed a weird light coming from the bathroom. I tried to turn the light on and when I got into my room, but that light also didn't turn on. So what the fuck light was I seeing? A fucking fire. The fucking ceiling fan in my bathroom was on fire, but it was inside a part of the attic that isn't easy to be reached, but could easily have spread to my grandmother's side of the house. Had I not come home, my family would most likely be dead by a fire. It didn't make sense as to why this would happen because I don't leave anything on. The only thing that made sense was that the darkness was pissed that my mom stepped in and tried to get rid of it. At that point, I decided to just try and ignore the shit that would happen, especially because I didn't want to risk any of my loved ones becoming the victims of this thing. Less than three months later, my mother died in that house nonetheless, and the paranormal shit finally started to die down. I told myself that my mom was off fighting this thing to keep me safe, and although it wasn't completely gone, it was better than before. Mm -hmm. We had a couple more things happening, like my fiancé being woken up to someone grabbing him by their leg, or the occasional noise of someone walking up my stairs. When we moved into our first apartment, it felt like I was in the clear, like we, like whatever we had been bothered by was left in the house that my mom had died in. When we moved out, my aunt and uncle moved in. My uncle was an absolute skeptic, but my aunt wasn't. Mm-hmm. I warned them both. 
They ex- I explained to them that I thought whatever it was was being contained thanks to mom. I shit you not, though, a month later, my uncle called me freaking out. He had just experienced the smallest fraction of what I had been encountering most of my life. I slowly began to notice some of the shit I thought I had left behind me at my new Uh, after my uncle called at my new place. Nothing too significant, but doors and drawers being opened when I knew for a fact that I had closed them. The the same things that followed us to our second apartment, but weren't of any significance like my previous encounters. I got pregnant and we moved into our first home. However, it is 50 steps from the place my mother died. I'm extremely concerned that whatever this darkness is will eventually attach to my daughter, but it makes me feel a little bit better to think that my mom has been fighting for me since her death. I don't believe this thing is gone, but I don't think it ever will be. It's nice to think that although things got out of control many years ago, that shit hasn't hit the fan like that since my mom's death. What makes me a peeper is that every night when the TV goes off and I'm trying to sleep, the darkness is here. I hear the hum of the box fan that I have on and on at night, and then I return to normal as if someone or something has passed in front of it. I hear my bedside table creak as if something heavy has been put on top of it. I feel the presence of something leaning on my bed or the presence of someone or something standing right beside me. I know every night that it is still here, and so I sleep with an eye mask on. If I have to go to the restroom, I do my best to do it with my eyes closed so I don't see the shadow I've seen so many times Uh, before. I'm a peeper because I'm traumatized by what I've seen so many times before, and it's fucking terrifying. Sorry to have been so long. I have wanted to send this in so many times, but it was a lot. I absolutely love y'all's storytelling capabilities and scared to death in general. I'm glad I found your podcast, even though some episodes absolutely scare me to death. Love y'all. Aww, that's so nice. And and was Yeek. there was there a name attached to that one? No name. Okay, no. no that's so right, that's so what right, happens like right. just to like be clear, like if people send yeah. a story and it's like you know I can oftentimes see your name in the email, mm-hmm. but if you don't include your name in the story, yeah, I try to Some just leave it off because I'm like, ah, oh, you yeah. probably just didn't think about like, oh shoot, she's gonna see my name in the email yeah, address. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. So yeah. So anonymous. Yeah, I just have like weird thoughts on that one. Like the whole like um concept of like attachment. Yeah. Like, because I know that there can be an argument for all these kind of things where it makes me think of like sleep paralysis studies where they can, they've said like, okay, like certain parts of your brain get triggered and it makes mm-hmm. you see certain shadowy things. And then that's the, uh, obviously can be like a scientific way to like um, rationalize or not rationalize, but yeah. discredit yeah. some of the paranormal stuff. But then what I was thinking is, would it be, what if it was possible or why couldn't it be possible where, Let's say that these spiritual entities are out there, like mm-hmm. a variety of kinds. Just like, just like there's different kinds of diseases. Right. And there's different things. And when they attach themselves to you, they alter your brain chemistry or they – so it's like mm. they're the root of why your brain would show up scanning a different way. So it's like – God, I never thought of that. Like, like it makes me think of like mental illness, certain mental illness. I mean, and this is – I know this is really out there. I'm just, you know, just throwing out random thought bombs or Let whatever. Where, you know, they can, they can show that like uh, – it's, you know, certain types of the brain or why are, are firing differently than mm-hmm. a quote unquote normal or healthy brain. Sure, sure. And it, it, like it's just there's some space where some entity is able to like when it manifests, it, it, it would basically show up on a CAT scan. It would well, show up. It changes up. your brain. Yeah, waves. yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm kind of upset that you brought this theory forward because anytime I feel like I see something, um, I will explain it away with like sleep paralysis. I'm like, sure. oh, no, no, no. You were just like half asleep, blah, blah, blah. You just ruined that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for me, the attaching thing, 
I do feel like that can happen. It's it's got to be possible because it's this girl has been a lot of stories. Yeah, and this girl has it has happened to her in multiple places the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so to me, I'm like, well, why would the same thing keep happening over and over? And it wasn't just a sleep paralysis thing for her. Right, right, it, right, right. Excuse me. If you had sleep paralysis, let's call it like a condition. If that was a condition mm-hmm. that you had, similar to like narcolepsy or something, right? Yeah, it's going to follow you wherever you go. I mean, it's a condition. You it can't be treated or yeah, maybe if, you don't want to medicate for it, whatever. Okay, fine. But that's not what was happening here. Right. And what if there could be a, a paranormal condition that follows you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Like, why can't it attach to you? Uh, uh, who knows? Yikes. And now she's worried Spooky. about her daughter? Yeah. Which is valid. Yeah, creepy stuff. Ay, ay, ay. I had a thought for a minute. What if her mom was the creepy paranormal thing like because she said it died down when her mom died so like what if it was attached to her attached to her and just like terrorizing Mm -hmm. everyone and now her mom is terrorizing them like but Mm -hmm. but still through that same sort of entity that latched onto her mom like what if her mom just can't fight it off in some spiritual battle i mean i don't know what it looks like on the other side right right and the whole fan burning things, you know, like catching on fire. I mean, that's that's a terrifying thought to think that like, because oh again, Lord. you know, because a lot of people will say, myself included in the past, it's like, well, okay, well, if these things are real. Why don't they just, you know, go terrorize everybody blatantly? Mm-hmm. But, but it's like, but I don't know what, I don't know what the rules are. Right. You know, like and, and the rule is you only get to influence matter in this plane mm-hmm. in small ways for the most part. What yeah. if one of those ways was kind of like, you know, uh, heating up a coil or... Guess, moving yeah. a candle flame enough where they could actually burn something like because then that then that makes me think like how many unexplained fires oh, could God. theoretically have demonic or you know paranormal origins yeah roots yeah <sighs> it's, it's, it's kind of like the same kind of thought as when people disappear it, it, you can like well maybe it was an alien I, I mean maybe it wasn't I mean there's no evidence of that right right the, right, but, right but it's the whole thing of like yeah but there's no evidence that it wasn't that yeah just the possibility yeah the thing that I mean really at the end her saying that the box fan, that's such a specific description. Mm-hmm. I totally get that. Cause like you crank it on high because you love the breeze and the sound, mm-hmm. but you can always tell when someone walks in front of a box fan mm-hmm. because the breeze, there's a barrier. Between, yeah. It shifts. Yeah, and it's obviously. like, and, and it sounds a little bit different. So every night she's saying that she's like, here's so the weight of someone like putting something on the bedside uh, table. Yeah. Oh, and the, and the, and the thing of like the little, like lots of little things. That was a creepy detail. I know. I, that story was really, really creepy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel for her and her family. Yikes. Um, I know this is irrational, mm-hmm. but anytime somebody writes a story that's like any from where I'm from, I just, I'm like, oh, okay. Ah, uh, yeah, I get excited. I get that. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. Mm-hmm. So a little story from my hometown, hometown state of I. I almost said Idaho. I'm from Idaho now. Yeah, I thought you were going to say Iowa. It's like, Iowa. who knows where Who you're knows from? where I'm from? Where Ohio, am I from? Iowa, Idaho. I'm from all the places. Mm-hmm. I am an entity from all the places. <laughs> A little story from Ohio. Greetings, scary suck family. And then I love this. First, I would like to say I get so irrationally excited whenever I hear Lindsay talk about anything from her hometown of Parma Heights because I grew <laughs> up not even 20 minutes away in Strongsville. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, they go on to say, Dan, it makes so much damn sense because Parma is just a breeding ground for those mouth-breathing Polish bastards. Ugh. <laughs> Thank you, time sucker. Yeah, clearly a time sucker. And and it is true. I mean, it's pretty funny, just like a little inside 
if you're new to the uh, you know yeah. our podcast or whatever i'm from cleveland parma heights and it is it was like all polish people there's a lot of a lot like of socks and sandals a lot of socks and sandals a lot of pierogies a lot of pink flamingos <laughs> in the front yard um but yeah because the neighborhoods there are very pocketed by your nationality yeah um so anyways, but but Strongsville, I don't know if you still live in Strongsville. I, I don't remember how this story ends, but we are often in Strongsville. Strongsville is like, you know where my dad lives? Mm-hmm. My dad's in Brunswick mm-hmm. and Strongsville is like right there. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been there. Mm-hmm. Lucky you. All right. First, I've never had a true belief in ghosts or anything paranormal like that. But this story makes it very hard to deny. I'll give you some quick backstory. And for the respect of all families involved, I'm not going to use anyone's real name. My mom's best friend, Jessica, was married to my dad's best friend, Mike. Things were shaky in both marriages, so my mom and Jessica decided to leave my dad and Mike simultaneously. Okay. When Mike came home one night, he found Jessica packed and ready to take their two very young and severely autistic daughters to their mom's house. Disclaimer, this gets very violent, so like, if you can't handle that, you should peace out now. Okay. Mike, who'd always been a very calm and respectful man, panicked and snapped. That night, Mike brutally murdered Jessica in their home. It was not a quick murder either. He beat her bloody, slashed her with a kitchen knife, hit her over the head with a baseball bat, and then finally, as she crawled desperately to the Jeep in the garage, he took her head, placed her between the door and the frame, and slammed it shut. After a feeble attempt to clean up the murder scene and leave and leave her there, he finally called the police. He was arrested, and she was taken to the local hospital where she was pronounced brain dead. Her parents decided to pull the plug less than a day after she entered the hospital. He still sits in prison as I write this, and unfortunately will be out as soon as 2024. The grief my family went through was horrible, especially so for my mom, who had truly never been the same since. Days after the murder, my mom had to drive out to Hudson, where this family lived, to rescue their cat, which now became a staple member in our family. Years passed, and I had grown up, and my mom and dad had divorced. My mom remarried and was moved into a new house in Strongsville. Mm -hmm. My mom, who does believe in spirits surrounding her, would occasionally mention how she could feel the presence of Jessica with her from time to time. One night, however, the mood of Jessica's presence was drastically different. I was in my room with my now ex-girlfriend. My stepdad was on the computer in the office, and my mom was in the family room playing the piano. All of a sudden, the song she was playing abruptly stopped, and the sound of her horrified scream filled the house. My stepdad and I ran into the family room ready to attack some kind of intruder or something, only to find my mom shaking and tears running down her face. My stepdad frantically pleaded with her to tell us what had happened. She was unable to speak for quite a few minutes, and when she finally did, the conviction in her voice and the look on her face left no doubt that she was telling the truth. Mm -hmm. I felt a hand grip my shoulder, and it spoke. She paused. What spoke? What did you hear? Me and my stepdad asked. Jessica. She begged me to help her. And as soon as that last word came out of her mouth, a loud bang came from the back in their bedroom. All of us jumped and my mom went into hysterics. I directed my girlfriend to stay with my mom and console her when my stepdad and I went to check out what had happened on the other side of the house. What we found was a clear message. It was Jessica who spoke to my mom. The bedroom door was closed and we slowly opened it to find nothing out of the ordinary in the bedroom Mm -hmm. except for the door of their off-suite bathroom door also closed shut. When we opened that door, we found Jessica's old cat 
now ours, motionless on the bathroom floor, staring up at one spot on the wall with a low growl that we had never heard before. She refused to move. We also noticed how much colder it was in that bathroom, at least a 15 15 degree dip. After us trying for a moment to get Zoe the cat to move and to stop staring at that one spot, she suddenly snapped out of it and immediately the temperature spiked back to normal levels as the rest of the house. Hmm. Stunned, my stepdad and I rushed back to my mom and explained what we found. She didn't know how to process what we told her and it resulted in just more hysterics. The question of what did Jessica need help with weighed heavy on all of us. Was it a call back to the night she was murdered? Mm-hmm. Was it some unrest her spirit or soul was in that in that only her best friend could save her from? To this day, that question was never answered, and I know it still haunts my mom. She has nightmares where she watches the murder play out, and she watches from above as Jessica has yet to make Jeez. another appearance since that night, which leaves me with so many questions. But one thing is for sure, Jessica's spirit made contact with us that night. Thanks for reading. I know it's a bit of a long one. (sighs) Unfortunately, all of this is real. I do hope it spooked you at least a fraction of how spooked I was and still am. Been a bit, been a blast tuning in every week. Love the podcast. Wouldn't change a thing. Three out of five stars. (laughs) That's a joke from uh, Time Suck for those of you who just listened scared to death. Yes. I I love the three to five. Three Um, out of five stars. So so, just really quick and I'll jump back on the story. Yes. Just reminding me to three to five. Uh, the new special, I, I just checked. I was like, I oh, wonder the reviews have been. Yeah. And there is, and it's so nice. It's so sweet. And also so funny. There's, there is a ton of, uh, five star reviews that all end with wouldn't change a thing. Three out of five stars. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And a few people gave me three stars and then said, love it. Fantastic. Three out of five stars. <laughs> You're like, no, I need the five star rating. <laughs> but, um, I had a question. My, my brain zoned out for a second because when you talked about the guy getting out of prison. Yeah. I had to reel myself back in because I drifted into my own fantasy of like if that was some of my family and then if yeah. I was getting out, how would I kill them and get away with it? Uh, of course you did. So so yeah. So the the detail the, when they saw that with the cat and with the and with the the voice where her mom heard that that was in their house. Yes. Not in. Not in the murder house. Mo- okay, got it. Got it. I just wanted to have that one clarification thing, man. Yeah. That um, that death. Oh my god. I feel like I have some vague recollection of it, and I don't know if so it's violent. just um, the door thing really got me. Mm-hmm. So violent, so violent. I can't believe that son of a bitch is getting out. Yeah, so he's um, the the writer inner, you know, because we're keeping all the names out of it. I'm sure that like you could do your own fair amount of searching and figure it out. But he says um, he still sits in prison as I write this. Right. Unfortunately. Will be out potentially as soon as 2024. Mm-hmm. And I, and four I, years. And I don't, and know, I don't exact, know when this happened. Right, but, but whenever it happened, I mean. Whatever it is, it's not long enough. He should die in prison. That is crazy to me that you can like brutally murder. Brutally. Anybody. Anybody. But then also like the mother of your children, mm-hmm. your wife, that viciously. And then, you know, then you get out and I don't know, you get a job and you're just, you know, chilling at the bar on the weekends, whatever. I, I, I bet temporary insanity. I bet that. I yeah. bet that's what he claims. They give lesser charge a lot of times to what they call crimes of passion. Mm-hmm. Like, you, yeah, exactly. Like like temporary insanity, just like you said. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that, but that's a whole other That's thing. a whole other can of worms we're not going to yeah. open because this show is mm-hmm. free of all of that. We don't, yep, I know. We don't do that here. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like I vaguely remember this, but... I, can you imagine like that happens to someone that you love so much, your very best friend, mm-hmm. and then years later, he or she comes back to you and says, help me? Like mm-hmm. of all the things. 
not even like a I'm okay or yeah. it's okay, like whatever. That's traumatizing. Oh my God, I would be so fucked up. Right. Because then I would be like, because then it just sends you. can't you, help them. You can't help them. And it sends you down that spiral again because they were both leaving their husband simultaneously, right? They were both leaving that day, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. then it's like, oh, well, if I hadn't encouraged my friend Right, because I'm leave, sure that there was that. I'm we got to sure. do this. We don't deserve this. Right. All valid. And then and then you're- And not your fault. Not your fault. Not your fault. Not but at of course all. you feel guilty. Of course. And then your friend does that. And then the consequences, they have their oh fucking head caved in. Yikes. That would haunt, I mean, how would that not haunt you? How would that not? And then yeah. she comes back. Help me. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's terrible. That's terrible. It's awful. So awful. So knowing how awful that was, I thought we would wrap it up with something a little little lighter. Lighter. So this I don't know why this email. I was just like cracking up reading it. Uh, It says, dear, insert witty greeting here. (laughs) Yep. I first discovered Time Suck this past year, which led me to scared to death. Love them both. Thank you. So I have two spooky stories for you that actually have a funny ending. As a teen in the mid-90s, I had a summer job as a groundskeeper at the two local cemeteries in our little town. The newest and biggest cemetery was closest to town, while the older and smaller cemetery was further away and very rural. Yeah. First story takes place in the older, very rural cemetery. One afternoon, I was jamming to my new disc man... And then it says, feel free to explain what this is to our younger generation, which I'm not going to. If you don't know, I can't. Compact disc player. Shh. While using a weed eater around each and every headstone at the old cemetery. I was in my own little world when out of nowhere, someone tapped me on the shoulder. When I turned around, I saw a very old and ragged man. His clothes and face were covered in dirt and sweat. This man was very thin and bony and looked as if he had crawled out of a grave recently. As you can imagine, I freaked the fuck out, dropped my weed eater and yelled out. Well, this is where my story might disappoint you. Turns out that old man, who was very much alive, (laughs) was just there to tend to some graves. And for some reason, he needed to ask me some stupid question about a grave he was working on. Why he decided to look like a zombie from The Walking Dead, I'll never know. (laughs) I scolded him in a shaky teenager way about not sneaking up on a guy that has his headphones on using loud power tools. It took me several hours to calm down. Mm Mm-hmm. The next story. So now I'm at the much bigger cemetery, the newer one. I had gotten into a big hurry while mowing and I accidentally bumped and knocked over a large vertical headstone with the riding lawnmower. Oh, Jesus. I was still newly hired. And on this particular day, I had tried to stand it back up myself before the boss (laughs) knew about it. But it simply was too heavy and awkward to do alone. I had to tell the boss. And as you can imagine, I was pretty nervous. I kind of already knew my boss had a bit of a temper, but what happened next completely took me off guard. My boss had seen me trying to set the headstone up and came marching over and yelling and screaming at me about being reckless with the mower. And that's when it happened. In mid-scolding, my boss stumbled backwards, falls to the ground, completely unconscious. What What the fuck, right? Stunned and confused, I immediately think my boss just died in front of me from a heart attack of something. I kneel down beside him, trying to decide if I should start CPR, when all of a sudden, (laughs) he wakes up and he looks around, stands up, and begins to calmly tell me that he has narcolepsy and hadn't taken his meds that day. I was speechless. You think a little warning about a condition like that would be helpful ahead of time. Together, we set the headstone back in place and went on the rest of the day as if nothing had happened. He had a few more episodes after that, but I did get used to it and would just wait for him to wake up. I bet you're wondering if he drove a vehicle. Yes. He didn't live far from the cemetery, and so he very illegally would drive back and forth to work and home. 
His condition eventually did lead to his death a few years later. I know. But it sure made for some interesting stories to share. I know my stories don't fit this uh, narrative exactly, but at the time, I was nearly scared to death. (laughs) Even if you don't share them, which we are, Uh, I hope you at least enjoy them. As always, keep up the good work and keep on sucking and bring in the scary uh, stories, BJ. Thanks, BJ. My favorite detail from that story is I love it when in real life somebody matches physically – what their job is, like 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 out of like a, in a stereotypical <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. way, you know, because like there's like the central casting version of the groundskeeper, yeah, which is like the wispy old man, creepy. <laughs> um, there's like there's like that archetype, and then like the um, and then if you're gonna meet somebody creepy, like have your fortune told, it would be the lady with the white like one white eye, totally, and like very stereotypically like you know Romani kind of look with mm-hmm. the bandana and all that stuff. Um, I, I just love that, that guy couldn't have looked like more like a, a groundskeeper at a right, cemetery, right? Like a whatever gravekeeper, grave digger. Yeah. yeah, he was just like, and I don't even think he was. He was just there working on a couple of graves, like right? like my dad. I don't know if anybody else's parents do this. My dad occasionally just works at, on graves. Well, my whole, he'll go to the cemetery. So, like most of my family is buried at Holy Cross Cemetery in Parma, Ohio, uh-huh. and my dad will go and clean up his mom's, his oh, dad's. That's nice. Yeah, like he'll go to like my parents are divorced, but he'll go to like mm-hmm. my grandfather's grave, my grandmother's grave, like, and he just goes with like you know his little like weed eater or. All, I mean, he doesn't live in Parma anymore, so I don't know if he he does it anymore. But he used to go quite huh. regularly. It was that like a thing. That made me think of the most random thing. Like, I wonder, does anybody ever just go piss on somebody's grave? Like oh, somebody, sure. somebody you hated in life? For sure. Right? Because there's that phrase, I'm going to piss on your grave. Yeah. It didn't I, come from nowhere. I'd love to see that at a cemetery. <laughs> just somebody angrily pissing on someone's <laughs> grave. How great would that be? Because you know be that like, I, it would be so tempting to be like, what's the story? Can, oh, you please, my God. Please tell I me why you did info. that. more Yeah. 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 I mean, <sighs> I, I absolutely get that. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I couldn't work at a cemetery. Could you? Yeah. You could? could? Mm -hmm. I couldn't. I've been to a lot of funerals, though. And I always have this weird fear of falling into the grave and being buried alive. I would rather work at a cemetery than a morgue. That would freak. I don't want to be around the the, the bodies when they're being embalmed embalmed and all that. No, thanks. Because, you know, the bodies give off like like, um, as the muscles really start to like atrophy and whatnot. They just there's twitches that happen. Oh, yeah. There's like a final Uh, breath that comes out. Man, you got to be you got to be a real creeper to be able to like. Be a mortician working. I picture like the stereotypical kind of going back to like movies. Mm-hmm. If you're like in like a basement type setting alone at night working on a dead body. Uh, I mean, I guess you could, I guess you could acclimate, get used to it. But that, that I, thought isn't fun for me. I feel like if you're doing that job, it would be awesome if you were deaf because then you wouldn't hear like all the creepy sounds. Or would, worse. No, you don't, you don't know what's coming up behind you. Yeah, but if you're in that mentality, you're probably not someone who's scared. I guess you're used to that, though, too. Right, right. So you're like, you don't have to hear all the, like, creepy sounds Uh, and, like, the tools on the tray and the... And also, I would not want to be able to smell very well. Because I can't imagine (laughs) that it smells great when you're embalming a body. I doubt it. Yeah. Disemboweling. I don't think it's disemboweling. Well, I guess maybe you do. I think you you have to do that. You have to... Oh, boy. Yeah. If there's, like, an autopsy, then... Yeah. And then they, they just crudely stitch you back up because you're just going to be put mm. in your funeral clothes. Right. Do you want to be cremated or buried, Dan? I don't know. I think cremated, but I kind of like having a tombstone too. Well, you can still have a tombstone and be cremated. That's what a mausoleum is for. You know what? If I'm going to have a mausoleum that I don't want to be cremated, I want my skeleton in a, in a casket with like some cool like occulty things maybe. And I want to be do? in a mausoleum. Very you, gothic. You do? I'm just thinking about it now. But yeah. I thought we were going to get buried in Riggins. 
We could have a big gothic mausoleum put in Riggins and make that cemetery way cooler. But I wanted my body put on a boat and shipped off onto the lake and caught on fire. I just wanted to go back Ooh, to the like earth. Like a Viking, like a... Like a Viking-esque. Because mm-hmm. I know that's not exactly... I know there are people who are going to be like, that's not how you do yeah, it. it's P-Y-R-E. I, I can never... Pyre? Pyre? Like, 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 like when you put those... Yeah, when they float out the... Pyro? I can't remember what it's called. I, I can picture it. I can picture it from the History Channel Viking show. Me too. When they float them out there. Um, okay, okay, that's it. Well, that's all for today. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Thank you for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You make the show so much better. We, so we truly fun. appreciate the, the messages. Th- thanks. Oh, yes. I, I'm so sorry. I just forgot. Yeah. In our last episode, hmm? I, I had a call to action about donations for safe passage. Oh, yes. I, I was thinking, there was, was there something we talked about? Yeah, I know. Okay, well, you it. know what? I actually, yeah. I had written it down and mm-hmm. then um, I had mixed up the order of the way that my stories were and mm-hmm. I had to reprint a new one and I didn't transfer my notes. Okay. So my goal as being a virtual ambassador for safe passage was a goal of 750 and we almost doubled it. So I cannot thank all of you. The words yeah, escape me you, because thank you, thank you. it's so important, and I know so many of you don't even live here. It's not even a service that you personally could take advantage of here. But I was talking to our program director this morning, and let me tell you, the need is real. Um, Safe Passage had to apply for the PPP just to keep going, and that's really that's really tough. Uh, that's a service that is needed far and wide. So I thank you. So many times over for all your help. Yeah, helping out with domestic violence situations. Absolutely. Uh, and thanks for thanks for helping with the emails we get. Heather Rylander, uh, uh, to send in anything but a my story, you can send it into info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks for listening or watching this Bad Magic production. Thanks to the team, Logan and Kate, social media, the talented folks who design the merch and manage Bad Magic merch.com who are in the building now in the building Logan is moved. here right now they moved yay it's the best thing ever excited to take everything further uh thanks to zach flannery for producing and directing many of the episodes producer sophie evans for finding many of our stories joe paisley for producing directing and adding and creating the custom sound beds follow us on facebook and instagram at scared to death podcast subscribe to bad magic productions on youtube and enjoy those nightmares creeps and peepers hope you were scared to death bye y'all If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but has no home here within scared to death.